person's identity has become a topic of many conversations these days, particularly with our society's moral decline. But the Bible has much to say about this topic, and it's far more than just gender. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich helps us understand how our identity is determined from a biblical perspective and Jesus' part in all of it. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Who Am I Meant to Be? from Genesis chapter 1. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with everybody this morning, uh, on this chilly morning, uh, as we gather around God's Word and see what He has to say to us. So as I said, we're going to be in the first book of Genesis, and we are going to be reading verses 26 through 31. 26 through 31. So if you would follow along with me. And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne once again this morning, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to come to your house, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, to lift your name in song, and to lift our petitions to you, Lord. We know there are many, uh, for whatever reasons, that could not join us this morning, Lord. I know there are challenges that have been placed before them this morning, but just be with them and minister to them that they might gather together again with us at the next point of time. And Lord, as we begin to step into your word, we just ask that you help us to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, that we might be receptive to the truths that you have for us today. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here before these folks and present your word. I just ask that you take me and use me as your vessel, Lord. Just remove anything that could in any way interfere with the message. Take away any pride, selfishness, distraction, Lord, whatever it might be. Take it away. Fill me with your spirit that I might only speak the words that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, as a church, as we continue to strive to move forward, Lord, we just ask that you help us to see the clear directions you have for us. Lord, help us to see the, 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 the mission that you have uh, assigned us to clearly and, and help us to continue to stay focused on that mission. Let us never turn inwardly and be self-serving. Let us always be outwardly focused so we might see the needs in the community around us, whether those needs are physical or spiritual. Help us to administ administer to those needs that we might glorify you in the process of doing so. And Lord, as individuals, help us to see the needs around us as well. We uh, have ample opportunities every single day of our lives to witness and to share the gospel to those around us. Help us to be bold in doing so. Help us to have the courage to stand up and proclaim it, uh, regardless of what kind of reaction we might receive in, in doing so. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Moreover, we're going to take a, top, take a look at a topic that is particularly relevant in our current culture uh, that we live in today. When we look at the direction society has gone, it's clear we have certainly departed from the biblical guidance given to us and have gone all in, so to speak, when it comes to simply responding to the impulses of the flesh and <clears throat> emotions that go along with it. Uh, but from the very beginning, God had a design for mankind, a design and a purpose. And it was one that was very clear, very straightforward, and very uncomplicated. We need to remember that Satan is the author of all confusion and lies. Our God is a God of order. So from the beginning, there were males and females, period. There were no combinations or variations of the two, man, woman, boy, girl. And the introduction of the concept of gender fluidity or that somebody was born in the, a body opposite of the sex that they really are, that is not something that is of God. Understand, God does not make mistakes. So if the cultural shift that we are seeing in our world today is not of God, it's not hard to figure out where it originates. But my intent this morning is not to step into this current cultural battle that rages in our society today, but rather to examine biblically exactly who is it that we are meant to be. Who is it that God has designed us to be in his, as from the master architect? So that begs the question, then we've got to ask ourselves, who am I? What gives a person their identity? On what foundation do we build our sense of self? This is important because how we answer this question will define our life. And it's important to understand that it is possible, in fact, very easily to improperly answer this question. We may try to define ourselves by maybe our occupation. We may define ourselves perhaps by political affiliation, marital status, any number of other things. With the advent of social media, something that existed before has become much, much more prevalent. And that is that we see a lot of people trying to project some image of who they want to be who they want others to see in them. Let me address something here particularly for the younger folks that are here today. And But although it's not exclusive to you, but it's going to be particularly relevant to you. We should never, ever let friends, family, enemies, or society define who we are. That is not something for somebody external to us to define. We do not become someone to appease or please someone else. Now you hear that and you say, well, no, wait a minute. Preacher, you're saying that we shouldn't let somebody else define who we are. And yet we're exactly doing that by using the Bible as the guide who, to define who we are. And who we're to become. But there's a huge gaping hole in that argument. The author of that book that you hold in your hands this morning is also the master architect, designer, creator of who we were to begin with.
I would say that would probably make him the expert and authority on who we are to be, wouldn't you? So I think it's perfectly aligned and correct to say that we certainly want to use Scripture to help us understand who we are. But what typically then causes other people or allows, uh, causes one to allow other people to define who they are? What would cause that? That's typically driven by a desire for validation. Normally when we allow others to define who we are, it's because we are seeking out validation from those individuals. Okay? And while there are many things wrong with allowing this to happen, one thing we must understand is that it is hard to have any relationship with somebody when we are constantly looking for their validation. If you have not figured out who you are, you will inadvertently build your identity around other people. And this becomes a barrier, a barrier to creating the kinds of relationships that God has intended for us to have. And then another thing we see very commonly in young individuals is that they create an identity based on somebody they admire. They may copy the way they dress, they may copy the way they talk, they may copy the way they act. In many ways they try to become that person that they idolize. But be forewarned, our heart will cause us to use the wrong thing to define who we are. Remember the words of warning that Jeremiah gave us, that our heart is desperately wicked, to the point where who can know it? When you combine that with a world that preaches and models many different false identities, then it might be easy to fall into a trap of allowing somebody else to define who you are. But we've got to keep in perspective that our true identities, the ones that we really have, are God-given. They are a gift from God. When studying, I came across a statement referring to finding our own true God-given identity. And I, I really I thought this was an, an interesting take on it. It says that it is a surprising discovery and then a committed choice. Whenever we allow our heart, whenever we allow society, whenever we allow any other means to influence us, and define who we are, we become unglued from the God who actually defines us. So, having said all this, when we dig into Scripture, there's actually quite a bit in Scripture that talks about who we are, what our identity is. But there are certain things that come, become clear, and those are the things that I want to dig in today, and I've pulled out three specific points that I want us to take a look at today in, in, with respect to this. And the first thing is that we weren't meant to be clones. We were not meant to be clones. What do I mean by that, and how does that reconcile, then, with the biblical direction that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ? Scriptures is clear. It tells us very clearly we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So what do I mean by that we're not to be clones? Well, it means that while, yes, we are to conform our life to the behaviors and the attitudes of Christ, 
God has created each and every one of us with unique personalities that we are not only intended to keep, but to use. If you look at David, David had a gift of music. We see in scripture that David played for, uh, played for the king, played his instrument for the king, King Saul. God used that as part of his path to bring him to where he needed to be. He used it to take him down paths that fulfills God's will for him. So David's talent, something unique to his personality, was something that God used to fulfill his will in his life. Take a look at Paul. Paul, back when he was Saul, had a zeal that was unmatched. He was, what we would say today, all in when it came to his mission. Initially, it was persecuting Christians. And man, he, was, he had everything he had thrown into that. Unique to his personality. Not everybody has that kind of zeal. Very few do, actually. God said, you know what? I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use that particular attribute of your personality. So when Saul converted and became Paul... That same zeal that he had persecuting Christians was utilized to expand God's church. Plant churches. Spread the gospel. And it didn't change. He, he acted with the exact same zeal then as he did before. And it's very clear, and we see that from our, from our scriptures. His all-in attitude was used magnificently by God to grow the church and spread the gospel. And there are a number of examples all throughout Scripture where people had unique attributes about their personalities, things that were given to them by God, things, talents and such, that God used to fulfill their role. Different the unique aspects of this to accomplish the will. The thing to remember is that the, our unique personalities, our hobbies, our work, our pastime, while seemingly tailored to the individual, can all be done in such a way to achieve a common purpose and goal among God's people, and that is to bring glory to God. Everything that we do, every talent we have, every skill that we possessed can be utilized to bring glory to God. Paul was giving guidance to the church at Corinth about certain behaviors and made a statement that rings true of whatever we do. And it says that, therefore, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now the focus of this part of 1 Corinthians was regarding what Christians should eat in light of conflicting faiths. But you'll notice he made a point of taking the emphasis of what he was trying to say beyond this specific situation that he was talking about. To put it in a larger context. Because he said, not only just whatever you eat or drink, which was really kind of the focus of where he was going in that letter, but he added in, whatsoever you do. He didn't limit it just to the topic that he was talking about. He said, not only that, but I want you to take it a step further. I want you to say, everything that you do, do it in such a way that it brings glory to God. And there's always a way we can take what we do as far as our passions, our hobbies, 
and utilize it as a means to further the kingdom of God, glorifying Him in the process. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. The first of which is one that everybody is, I'm sure, familiar with. And that is a man by the name of Tim Tebow. Tim has a passion for the game of football. And he was pretty good at it. God had blessed him with the, the natural physical ability to play the game. And he took and ran with that. No pun intended. But it brought him to a place where he had a national, probably even an international audience. He famously used it as a springboard, though, to not glorify himself, but to glorify God and to spread the gospel. If you recall, you younger guys probably don't remember when Tim played, but if you recall back when he played at Florida, he wore in his eye black the verse John 3.16. One that was very, very familiar to Christians. He wore this throughout the season, but because of the team's success, they suddenly found themselves in the national championship in 2009. Once again, at the national championship, he made a point in having it say John 3.16 on his eye black. The impact of that was unmistakable. After the game, statistics from Google indicate that the term John 3.16 was Googled more than 90 million times. 90 million times somebody Googled that because more than likely the bulk of that was because they saw it under his eye. You see, his ability to play football, his physical, natural talent that God had given him, gave him the opportunity the chance to witness to literally millions of people. Many of whom probably never would have heard that verse in the normal course of conversation. Now he has taken that even further. And in an ironic twist that only God could have pulled off, and I think God did this intentionally to kind of make a point, while playing for the Denver Broncos in a playoff game against the Steelers, he threw for a season high, guess what? 316 yards. Remember John 3.16? Which came out to be, on average, per pass, 31.6 yards. Now tell me God's hand was not in that. Another example is uh, somebody who I follow in, in social media, a woodworker. I view his YouTube videos to get tips and, and things that, that to do when I, in, in my woodworking. And God has blessed this man with a talent for, for woodworking. And while he certainly does use it for his livelihood, it's a skill that God has blessed him with. He uses it also, though, as a ministry. Influencers, when they do these kinds of things on YouTube videos, sell merchandise typically in their sites. And then this, this individual who goes by 731 Woodworks is no different. But what makes him different than many others is that almost every single one of the shirts that he sells that talk about or they have to do with his woodworking business have biblical themes mixed into it and oftentimes actually have the scripture verses on them. And he's not shy about his faith in the videos that he creates either. So as you can see, unique talents that God blesses us with. Skills, hobbies, whatever it might be. They're not all the same across 
each and every one of us. God uniquely gifts us with different abilities. And they're not identical to the life of Christ. Now, while Christ probably had woodworking skills because his father was a carpenter, he probably learned it from Joseph. I'm pretty certain he didn't play football, though. So, while we are to conform to the image of Christ, there are skills and abilities that we are uniquely gifted with that are a part of our identity that we can use to glorify God in the process. However, who we are with respect to our personality, likes, dislikes, etc., must, and I repeat must, fall within the framework of who God has created us to be. One clear distinction that we should never be found is that within that framework we should never find anything that is worldly or sinful. That clearly is not a part of the picture that God has created for you. So we see now how our unique personalities, although very different, our hobbies, our work, our pastimes, while seemingly tailored to the individual, they can all be done in such a way as to achieve a common purpose and a common goal among all of God's people, and that is bringing glory to God. The second thing we take from all of this is that we should still be separate. We should still be separate. While there are things in our life that are unique to us and make us who we are, we must not lose sight of the fact that there are aspects of our life that should be intentionally modeled or molded and changed to fit a biblical pattern. We're reminded in this of in Paul's letter to the, book, to the Romans in Romans 12 too, where he says, And be not conformed to this, this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's easy to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world if we are not careful. We are told from every side who we should be, how we should be. Kids in schools are told that they should conform to the latest trends, the latest fads. That they should be this way or that way, or they should emulate music stars and sports figures. They are literally bombarded by this, constantly being told, influenced. But this verse reminds us to do what? Resist. Resist that type of conformity. Resist the calls and urges to be like someone else. And instead, it teaches us to use God's word to constantly go against the conformity that we might transform our minds and therefore our thinking and our hearts to be, which is what? That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the will of God? God's will for you is to be who he created you to be, not who somebody else wants you to be. Now, it's interesting because the word transformed here, you see this word transformed right here, comes from a Greek word that's very close to the word metamorphosis. In fact, it is where we get the word metamorphosis from. And what happens in a metamorphosis? Anybody watch a caterpillar go through the transformation to a butterfly? It is a complete change. Not the same. 
Paul understood that there is a constant battle going on here where the world is trying to shape us into one thing, but we have got to work with God's word, take God's word, let it change us, let it mold us, and transform us into who God wants us to be, which very often looks very different from what the world wants us to look like. A complete transformation and change. And the truth of the matter is that the end result of this will oftentimes fly in the face of common thinking. It will go against the very grain of society, as a matter of fact. But this shouldn't be of any surprise to us as believers. John 15, 9 tells us, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Being who God wants you to be is not going to probably win you a lot of friends in this world. It's not going to make you a real popular person in, in many cases. Being who God wants us to be will not make us, well pop, make us popular and well-liked in most cases. In fact, if we are true to our faith, then there will be many times that will result in us being alienated, scoffed at, ridiculed, maybe even persecuted. But you know what? We weren't called to be popular. We were called to be faithful. And we need to remember the purpose for which we were created ultimately. And that is to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us that we, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Notice some key phrases here. We are what? A priesthood. A priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. You see, as a priesthood, we have purpose. We have a role to fulfill. As a holy nation, we have a standard to maintain. We have levels of morality that we are expected to uphold and enforce wherever we can. And as a peculiar people, we are to stand apart from the world, separated from them. And why is that, though? Why is it so? Why? Is that necessary? Well, it's right here. Why do we fall into this category? Why do we, is it necessary that we do all these things? We, so we are to show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness. So that we might glorify God. And that means that we live as foreigners in this world. What does that mean exactly? What does it mean for us to live as foreigners in this world that we are in? Well, it means the culture, the practices, the attitudes that are fleshly and worldly should be foreign to us. And something that we feel is separated from, set apart from. But our differences are not random. They're not meaningless. They are with purpose. And that brings us to the last part of what we're going to talk about this morning and that is our necessary conformity. I spoke that we are not to conform 
to this world. We are not to conform to the standards, the attitudes, the morality uh, of the world that we live in today, but we are to conform to something, or should I say, someone. There are many aspects of our individuality that are good, even beneficial, to the furtherance of God's kingdom. We must nevertheless, however, lose sight of the fact that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Remember the verse in Romans we spoke of earlier, where we are to do just that, be conformed to the image of Christ? What does that look like exactly? We kind of toss that around loosely, and, when, and, and perhaps we don't really give it the weight that it really ex- it deserves. Have we taken the time to really examine what that, what that means, what that looks like? Well, in Christ, we are fundamentally new, and we belong to the people of heaven. The language, the customs, the expectations of this world, as I said, are increasingly foreign to us. We have been born again for a different world, a greater kind of existence. Brian Rosner said this, Everyone has an identity from God in being made in the image of God. But believers in Christ have an identity given to them by being known of God, by God intimately and personally as his child. Our identity then is a gift from God. It becomes central to who we are and affects all other aspects of who we are as individuals. What this means is the part of our identity that is to be conformed to the image of Christ will influence all other aspects of it. The part that we conform, allow ourselves to be conformed to with respect to the image of Christ will permeate us and influence every other aspect of our identities. You see, in Jesus, we don't lose our true selves, but rather we become our true selves through him. Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This is where we see a common thread that aligns with the family of God. The Jew and Greek comparison indicates that our cultural, our ethnic, and our racial identities don't matter in the family of God. The bond-free comparison indicates that our social status makes no difference. The male-female reference means that our gender is not a consideration. When we become a part of the family of God, earthly identities have lost their significance. It's not that these things aren't important or should be utterly ignored, but they should not be identity-defining. Because at this point, it no longer is about what divides us or sets us apart from one another, but rather what unites us. And that being Christ. Christ unites us. Our attitudes, our behaviors, should begin to conform more and more to the example that was given to us by Christ, to the point where we begin to be a reflection of him, rather than us simply emulating him. In understanding who we are, we must first and foremost understand who God is. Remember, he created us in his image. 
We need to understand who God is more and more that we might understand who we are to be as his image bearer. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. You see, ultimately, when it comes right down to it, our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. But one thing to remember is that we have, that our identity in Christ also means that our failures don't get the last word. Our sin does not have the last word over our lives. It means that Jesus does. We aren't defined by the bad things we've done or even the good things we've done for that matter. We are defined by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are defined by the grace and the mercy of God that is demonstrated in our lives. And this is the image we need to try to protect. What God has done in our lives. We need to protect and project that image. How good God has been to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loved the world loves you, loves me, that he would offer his son as a sacrifice for the evil that you and I do. It is my prayer that the world will see the, our good and glorious God through us in everything we do, everything we say. Let our image, our identity be that voice calling out just as, as John the Baptist did and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Let our image call out to others and present to them the Jesus that we know. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're at the sound of my voice today and you've never met this Jesus that I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard his name. Maybe this is the first time you've heard his name. But it is the only name by which we have hope. It is the only name by which we are saved. The world has all kinds of ways to say that you can reach God. You can get there through good works. You can get there through good deeds. You can get there through generosity. They'll tell you all kinds of manner of ways that we can reach God. But I'm here to tell you today, the Bible says that is not true. The Bible is clear that it is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus himself. Jesus himself made the statement, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one cometh to the Father but by me. Period. He didn't add on to that. He didn't say, well, if, unless you want to do it this way or unless you want to do that. He said, no, by me, by Jesus Christ is the only way we have access to the Father. By Jesus Christ is the only way we have entrance into heaven. And that's only possible if you know him in a personal relationship. And doing things in his name does not constitute a relationship. Let's be clear. Jesus said in the day of judgment, there'll be many that call out. Did we not do all these things, great things in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do wonderful works? Did we not, did not do this, 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 and this in your name, no less? And Jesus' response to that is, Depart from me, either the work of iniquity. I never knew you. See, the problem there is, yeah, they did a lot of good things by worldly standards, and they may have even done it in Jesus' name, but the, they had no relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't know who they were, in a manner of speaking. He had no relationship with these individuals. 
So please, please, it is my prayer today that you do not put your hope in the good things that you do. That you do not put your hope in the generous things that you have on your record. Understand that we are sinners. We have sinned. We have offended a holy and righteous God. And because of that, we have brought upon ourselves a death sentence, a spiritual death. And the only way to get around that is to pay the price. And Jesus has done that for us. Jesus has stepped in and offered his life as a ransom for ours. He has died the death that we should have died. He has made himself the sacrifice that God accepted on behalf of the entire world. He took on all the sins of the world. He suffered the full wrath of God. That we might be reconciled to the Father. That we might have access to God. The Bible is very clear how this takes place. How do we become a child of God? How do we become a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do we become somebody who has Jesus as our image bearer, or uh, as the person that we are to conform to? And that is if we are to confess our sins before God. Admit you're a sinner. Admit you have nothing to offer God to make up for it. Admit you are a sinner and that you're without hope outside of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge, recognize, embrace, accept that Jesus went to that cross. He took on your sins. He died on your behalf and rose again three days later. Then you too can be saved. You too can have your identity in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's so simple a child can understand it. So why not begin today? Begin to step into a life that identifies with Jesus Christ, that is a reflection of Jesus Christ. And begin your new eternal life with that decision today. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne once again this morning. We are grateful that we've had this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it holds. And Lord, we just ask that you help us to continue to seek our identity through you, that we not be influenced by the the different aspects of the world as they try to push us in the direction that they want us to be in. Help us to stand firm, boldly on your word in identifying who we are, that we might glorify you, that we might recognize you, we might reflect you to others that are around us. And Lord, help us to see the guidance that you've laid before us, that we might fulfill the will that you have for each and every person that's here today. And it's the sound of my voice. Help us to live lives that are pointing others to you. Help us live lives that are uh, being your, your hands, your voice, your feet, your heart, that you might ultimately receive the glory for all of it and that we might end that journey with the words from you that well done a good and faithful servant. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.